When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dear Black Girl. I'm your host, Unique. You can follow me on Instagram at Unismiles, U-N-E-E Smiles. You can also follow the show on Instagram at Dear Black Girl Pod. Now, if this is your first time listening to Dear Black Girl, Dear Black Girl is a series where I invite black women to come on and share their stories by creating a five-song playlist. And the songs on their playlist represent pivotal moments within their lives. Now, the playlist is available on Apple Music. Just search Unismiles. My profile will pop up and you'll see a playlist entitled Letters to Black Girls. It changes every other week just before we put out a new episode. Now, if you're not ready, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. If you like what you hear, rate us and leave a comment. We really appreciate it so much. And thank you for your continued support. Back in August, um, I got a chance to attend a dinner at the Dumbo House in honor of Sinai Lathan. And it was for her Netflix original movie, Napoli Ever After. The dinner was put on by Strong Black Weed. And at this dinner, I met so many dope black women. Now today's guests, as well as next episode guests, are two of the women that I met at this dinner. And they are super dope. Their stories are super amazing and inspiring. And I know you're going to enjoy them. But we're going to kick it off with the first one today. So... Dear Black Girl, meet Taryn Finley. Hey, y'all. How are you? Girl, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm here. You know, I'm tired. I ain't even gonna lie. I'm a little <laughs> tired. But, you know, when when you see, you know, people being booked and busy and doing all that, you know, they don't really, you don't really account for, like, see the times when they tired or when they over it, when they just need a break or, you know, at their breaking point. Yes. But, like, I'm tired and I need to sit down. And so being on your show, that's, like, literally, like, uh, just just what I needed in this in this time to just like replenish me and just talk about how popping and amazing and fabulous and brilliant we are as black women yes and ourselves because I think what we don't do is we don't praise ourselves a lot or see all the dope stuff we've done throughout our career because you just get so caught up on okay what's the next move what am I not doing why am I not doing this and you just never take that break unless you go on vacation right Vacation. You don't care about nothing. No, nothing or nobody. <laughs> Phone on airplane. So what brought you to New York from Dayton, Ohio? Okay, girl. So uh, something in me just always knew I was going to be in New York. I remember mm-hmm. growing up, my mom um, had this fascination with New York. She she loved it. And I just always wondered why she had like a poster in her, uh, in her, in my mom and dad's bedroom that just like had New York on it and like multiple times in like this like kind of artsy way. Um, so I think I subconsciously always was drawn to New York. Um, it's just the first city that I've visited. Visited um, when I was young, like on a plane, um, and I hadn't really thought, given it much thought until um, until I got to Howard University, which is where I went to college, and um, that's where I like really fell in love and really understood what it meant and what it would take to be in the media, like trying to do, you know, what I'm trying to accomplish, um, and so. I just immediately 
kind of knew once I started, you know, doing these internships and getting experience in digital media and journalism, period, that, you know, New York is is kind of like a mecca when it comes to um, opportunities for, like, real authentic stories. Um, not saying that, you know, I couldn't do this anywhere else, but to the capacity that I'm doing, like, as far as telling black stories, meeting the people that I, that I meet, you know, and, and just being inspired in general. I, I think that I always knew that New York would be where I end up eventually. So I feel like before people move to New York, they always have this idea of what their life's going to be like. Um, and it's always from like a movie. Like, I think for me, it was like, uh, save the last dance too. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, yeah. So what was like, what was, what was your original perception of what your life in New York was going to be like? I thought I was going to be Sydney Shaw and Brown Sugar. I thought that I was going to be, you know, out here taking over the industry as like a print, like a print magazine, EIC, you know, doing these things, covering black culture. I always knew I wanted to cover black culture because mm-hmm. like, I don't know, I was just always drawn to that. Um, more on that later. Um, but I don't know. I had, I definitely had this more romanticized version of what New York was, but I also kind of, kind of got a glimpse of what the struggle was here, mm-hmm. but I didn't fully understand it until I was moving here on a mega bus with two big suitcases into a apartment that I got off Craigslist that I had never stepped foot in. Ooh, child. Yeah. Craigslist is a lifesaver, though. <laughs> it really is. It really is. And, you know, like, when I, when I, because I had done an internship here mm-hmm. um, in summer of 2013, my junior year, um, at Essence before I actually moved here. So, even that, I, I felt like I kind of had this romanticized version of what it was. I did the um, an internship through ASME, so they, hit the, they hooked us up with housing. Um, we had like all of these bomb connections and meetings with like different editors and different people throughout the industry um, on a regular basis. You know, I'm an intern at Essence. I'm like, yes, this is life. This is living. I'm on top. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, the following summer after uh, the following summer after I graduated from Howard, it was definitely a humbling experience when, you know, I one night I found that um, a, a rodent was trying to be my roommate, and that's why I don't get uh, apartments off Craigslist anymore. But you know, everybody has that New York move-in story. Everybody has that. Like I literally didn't have two nickels to rub together. I was making minimum wage, um, working at the root. I was about to go into um, my grad school program at Columbia, and I, I still didn't have the money to pay for that. And so. It was just a lot going on. And that that summer, my first summer in New York truly tested me. And it was like, okay, if I can make it through this first year here, then I will be successful here in this industry no matter where I go. You know, that was just like my mindset. And that's something that like I told myself and it was hard. I wanted to, you know, give up a lot of times. A lot of times I went to bed crying, called my dad like, daddy, I don't know. <laughs> Um, but I'm glad I, I'm glad I pushed through and, you know, 
still in New York, you know. Yeah, like, I know. Even when you finally get some consistency, times is just sometimes it's sometimes rough. Yeah. Um, so when you moved to New York, did you move here with a job or you just moved here with like, okay, hopes of landing something? Um, I moved here with a job. Okay. Um, well, an internship, I should say. Um, so I remember the day I graduated, my dad was ready. Um, uh, uh, Howard's in D.C., for those who don't know. The day I graduated, my dad was ready to um, pack up my stuff in the van and take me back, me back to, to Ohio. <laughs> take me back to Dayton, Ohio. And I looked at him. I said, um, you know, if I go to Ohio, that means I'm going to be in Ohio for the summer or that's going to be harder for me to get to New York and find housing, find, do all this, that, and third, because, like, mind you, I'm gearing up to go to Columbia mm-hmm. the following fall, but I didn't want to be stagnant. So what I ended up doing was um, I moved in with my line sister for, like, a month. This is May. So I'm like, girl, like, I need to, like, I, I don't know what's going on. Like, I just need a place to stay while I, like, go back and forth to New York to look for a place to stay, look for jobs, et cetera. And she's like, girl, come on in. Um so I took maybe five different trips down to New York and mm-hmm. back um, within that month, did um, interviews in person, did interviews um, via Skype, phone, all that. And finally something stuck. Um, um, Lynn Pitts, um, who used to be managing editor at The Root, she reached out to me like I, I had only applied. She reached out to me and was like, hey, girl, like we want you. Come on down. And I'm like, oh, snap, the start day is in a week and I have nowhere to go. Like, I don't know where I'm about to live. So that's when the Craigslist story comes into play. But um, fortunately, I was able to have that internship. Like, it, it paid crap, but that was more than, you know. It was know, a starting point. Yeah, that was more than I had made in any other internships before then because I had been working for free most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, fortunately, I was able to secure something before I came down. Okay, let's get into your songs. Mm-hmm. Um, song number five. Song number five is My Life by Mary J. Blige. <laughs> because, okay, so this was like the first song that like I used to jam to when I was like three. Mm-hmm. When that album came out, my mom used to play it. I'd be in the back, you know, in the back of the car at three years old singing, If you look in my life, you see what... Like, literally. And um, what I didn't know was how much that song would go on to mean... uh, How much that would mean to me later on in life um, because I didn't realize... um, You know, sometimes you step back and you don't realize how much you go through until, like... You know, until you look back and it's like, damn, that was a lot. That was a lot. Like, I remember um, I was just talking to uh, my mom on the phone the other day. And, um, you know, we were talking about when when a point when uh, we our family had fallen into poverty, because from the time I was born until up until like age eight or nine, like, you know, we were well off. We were black middle class. We were, you know, cool. But then things started happening. And then finally, um, about my high school years, that's when like the recession hit mm-hmm. and it was really bad. And I had become homeless. Uh, my parents were divorced by then. My mom, my mom was homeless. Um, she was working a job in Cincinnati and like, um, 
she couldn't afford to drive back and forth from Dayton to Cincinnati to look after me. I, w- I ended up staying with my dad for uh, my first two years of high school. And um, one day, uh, sophomore year, I come home and the lights are off. But they're like the lights had been off before. So it was like, oh, da- daddy, the lights are off. What's going on? And that's when he was like, OK, I'm taking you to your aunt's house. And I'm like, okay, maybe this is like for a day, but the lights had been off, off. Like, like we didn't have money to pay for the lights to turn on, and then the water cut off. So, and then I became this place, um, and I didn't get along with my aunt. So I was like <sighs> everywhere. I was like in high school, jumping from couch to couch, like trying to figure, trying to figure it out. And like my parents did the best they could, but you know. Life happens. Life really does happen. Um, And going back to the song, you know, I think that what Mary was talking about was just like this. This is my story and I can only tell it. And I know that I have pushed through before and I will continue to push through because, you know, (laughs) and I think that I think this is very specific to, to black women um, like this struggle and this in this um burden that we that we carry and that we put on ourselves to push through and and not necessarily take that time to um to cry, to say that we're in pain, to say that we need help. Because a lot of times, you know, I was like, it's fine. I'm fine. I'm good. Like, wow, this is going on. My mm-hmm. friends didn't know. My like Yeah, my, I, was, I was gonna ask, like, how did you Maduro through high school while all this was happening. My friends didn't know. Like I like I was always, you know, at their house. Like eventually, you know, my best friend Sierra, like I was able to like just release and and pour everything out to her. And fortunately, like most of my senior year in high school, um, I was able to stay with her and her mom. Like that, that and that really like that really saved my life. That really did save my life. And Consistently, um, consistently, black women have been there for me when I didn't know which way was up or which way was down. And that, like, her and her mom, they saved my life. Like, they genuinely saved my life. My basketball teammates when I was in high school, like, that really, like, saved me uh, from going down a path that, like, so many of my other family members had gone down. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely blessed, and I'm definitely fortunate that I can look back and see everything that I went through, and I'm able to learn from that and understand um, how some of those traumas affect me today and understand that I'm at a place of privilege now where I can look back and look at my nieces and nephew and, you know, try to give them the world, but also try to equip them with some of these um, emotional um, tactics uh, when it comes to, because like, you know, you can't prepare for hard times, you Mm -mm. know, like you really can't, but you can emotionally prepare yourself um, to um, as far as like how you react or how you, um, how you take in, how you absorb some of the, some of the things that are going on around you. So yeah, I'm just, and I'm still on the journey. I'm still on the journey, but I'm, I'm blessed to be able to, 
to have made it out of that and made it here. Song mm-hmm. number four. Um, song number four is FUBU by Solange. <laughs> um, and I, I choose this because for a long time, like, I've, I was raised in, like, a very, like, pro-black, you know, home. Like, I was, I've always been taught to lean into my blackness. But I also think that um, a lot of times older generations, they don't really understand what it is to, like, be unapologetically black and not follow these uh, respectability politics that, um have kind of been placed on 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 us to like try to abide by or whatever um so I remember um my freshman year at Howard I feel one semester at a HBCU will have you really feeling like um, Ashley Banks in that in that episode of Fresh Prince when she had on the kente and the I didn't know what it was to be pro-black. I didn't know what it was. I I, I thought I, I had this one singular idea of what blackness was, mm-hmm. um, and I just assumed that we were monolith, and I just assumed that you know we were in a box. Um, like I knew about oppression, I knew about racism, I knew about all those things, but I didn't have the terminology to figure out like what it is that like continues to to bind us. Um, and it's this idea like, well, one of the, one of the things um, <laughs> it, it, one of the things is this idea is that um, blackness is like something that's very singular um, and that it's like only one way to be black and there's no. only. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I say as to say, Howard showed me what the diversity of blackness was. It, it showed me what true, uh, uh, like how how truly beautiful our heritage is. Not only not only from like a sense of you know how we look or um, our stylistics or what we eat or anything like that, but um, also our heritage. Our heritage is so rich, and a lot of times we don't talk about that. Like, we we really, um, like, I, I really want us to, like, lean more into, like, knowing our, like, exactly how powerful it is to know lineage and to know heritage because when you look at people you know like when you when you look at our white peers and they say like oh yeah my great great granddaddy was a a farmer in Norway and blah 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 I'm like well damn like I don't know who my great 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 granddaddy is because well Flavoring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I, after my um, freshman year at Howard, I really fashioned myself to be as unapologetically black as I can. I stopped code switching. I, um, you know, went natural. <laughs> I, I feel like that's the most cliche thing. That's the most cliche thing. I went natural. But you have to understand, I got a perm when I was four. I asked oh. for a perm. At, oh. at the age of four, I was like, "No, I want silky straight hair." Okay, like, I get it. It's it's wild. So I'm I'm and glad. And they gave it to you at four, girl. It's it was Ohio. Girl, I didn't Everybody get my first. Had a perm. Everyone had a perm in DC, but I didn't get my first perm until I was fourteen. Girl, and honestly, and the last long, I, I went back natural by twenty one. Good. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, like, not shaming people who get perms, because, like, if you get perms, like, that's you. Do Mm -hmm. you. But, like, I didn't—my 
I feel like I didn't have a choice because of, you know, how we are conditioned as black women to to see. And I mean, it's gotten better now, but we're conditioned to see black hair, uh, like black coily hair is like unruly or, you know, unprofessional mm-hmm. and all of these other things. When I grew up, I was always in schools surrounded by black kids. So I always knew there was like different types of black kids and Oh, my mom did not allow, allow me to go to HBCU. I applied to all HBCUs except what? for one. She was like, you've been around black people your entire life. Go somewhere else. Mm. That's how I ended up here. And I ended up at St. John's. I always tell people, dear white people, is the exact example of what my college experience was mm. like. Which is why I love that show. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's the perfect example of what it is like to be a black kid in a white space. See... And I was tired of that because I went to a, I went to a predominantly white Catholic high school. So I was tired. <laughs> I was tired. It's crazy. I went to a baby HBCU. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, at least that's what I call my elementary school. It was uh-huh. just like like really like Black History Month 365. Um, and I had missed I missed that. In high school, I missed that. But I feel like that's what happens. Like, kids that go to predominantly black schools their entire life, they switch it up for college. Mm-hmm. And kids that aren't able to go to predominantly black schools, they switch it up and go to HBCUs. Because, mm-hmm. like, I was in predominantly black private schools my entire life. Mm. I met the bougie blacks, the hood blacks, mm-hmm. the poor blacks, the weird blacks, the mm-hmm. everything. Everybody. <laughs> everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I met everybody. I was like, oh, okay, this is different. <laughs> Song number three. Okay, so song number three is Poppin' by Rico Nasty. Because I love her. She's amazing. I love I love her because she is like a carefree black girl, but also like she has like happy, aggressive black rage. And I I love it. Like (laughs) I love it. She's like, yes, I'm a popping ass bitch. Let me remind you. I'm like, yes, I stand because I too am a popping ass bitch. And I'm reminding y'all. When I first heard her songs, I was like, oh, she sounds just like a girl from back home. Mm -hmm. Like, I know like they're marketing like, yeah, she's from Brooklyn. I was like, no, that girl's from D.C. (laughs) That girl, Mm -hmm. she might have been born in Brooklyn, but that is a real D.C. PG County girl to the fullest. And I was like, I really is. And we don't see, we don't get to see like, you know, people like her, you know, shining in hip hop. Like they're, they're. I'm glad right now, you know, we're seeing more Rico Nasties, more baby mothers. And you know, baby mother. Baby mother. Like, honestly, I was. I was gonna put rules on my list, but I'm like, nah. Let me not do that. Let me let me keep it just at least a little, a little safer. Oh, she is like ratchet and vulgar, and she don't care. And I'm just be sitting there I like love that this. Shit. I love that shit because like I I didn't know how how <laughs> I didn't know how ratchet and how vulgar and how just like out of pocket I was until I left Ohio. <laughs> And like, cause I was born, I was, I, I was raising like kind of the suburbs, uh-huh. like, but it was like the hood, but I didn't realize that it was the hood until I left. And I'm like, shit, <laughs> damn, that was the hood that I, I was raised in the hood. Wow. But yeah, like Rico Nasty, I'm a popping ass bitch. Let me remind you because like, like you said at the top of the, um, at the top of the show, we don't celebrate ourselves enough. And you know what? So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to remind you that, you know, I am worthy of celebrating. I'm worthy of celebrating myself. I'm worthy of all the praise. I, I 
can be conceited. I can be cocky. I can do all that shit because I'm excellent. And y'all sit up there and y'all let these mediocre white men be uh, be cocky and, and, and be arrogant and, and be all that. And just pass. And just pass. Exactly. Exactly. And they, they're able to move up to the top. So you know what? As long as there is a, a, a gender race gate, uh, a gender race um wage gap. I don't know why I couldn't get that out. <laughs> as long as there is a pay, is there as long as there's pay inequity, as long as um you know the world continues to try to shit on us, as long as you know we don't get our due credit for shit that we created, shit that we started. I'm going to keep reminding y'all that I'm a popping ass bitch. We are popping ass bitches and I mean bitch in the most like positive, empowering and like amazing way. I don't think bitch is a cuss word unless it's unless you unless used as a cuss word. Oh my god, that reminds me of the um the cliff of how bitch can mean so many different ways depending on how it's said. Like mm-hmm. bitch, bitch, bitch. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. That's why I love like like not to stray too far off, but that's why I love insecure because Molly and Issa they say yes. bitch just like like us. Like that's how we just in everyday like use bitch me and my friends and like I don't know I love it I just love it. <laughs> so when you were navigating the media field, what was that journey like from you for you going from an intern at the Root to an editor at HuffPost? Who child? It's, it's child together. <laughs> <laughs> the ghetto. Oh my goodness. Navigating media has been um it's definitely been more of a journey than I expected it to be. Um and I've been I've been um editor or I've been at HuffPost Black Voices for the past three years. Yeah, I've been in New York four years, graduated in twenty fifteen. Yeah. So three years I've been um um, at this publication. And honestly, I don't think, I truly don't think that I would have been this far had I not gone to Columbia. It's wild because I think that I was always, when I graduated from Howard, I was ready. Mm-hmm. I was I was ready for this position, for my position. I started out as um, an intern um, at HuffPost Black Voices. I was, I was definitely ready, but nobody... Like, nobody at HuffPost was looking for me. You know, I had applied to this publication before, but nobody at, you know, these places that are, like, that were tapping me after I graduated Columbia were checking for a HBCU grad, which is unfortunate. And it speaks to, you know, the lack of inclusion, the lack of, you know, um, how these companies approach their their hiring practices. Um and so Columbia was definitely not to say that I didn't learn anything because I, I learned a, a, a immense uh, <laughs> amount of things and, and stressed and pulled my hair out and probably got a few grades along the way at Columbia uh, through that one year. But I definitely think that more than anything, that was valuable because of the access to um, to a lot of these um, white owned publications that mm-hmm. I got. Um, which is really unfortunate, um, and it speaks to how flawed the industry is when it comes to looking for um, entry level talent. Yeah, it really is. Um, fortunately, I was able to land here, um, 
and I ended up working with um, some amazing people um, at Black Voices. I was under uh, Lily Workner, who was the senior editor uh, before I took the helm, um, and uh, Brennan Williams. Like the team just really helped mold me into a newsroom leader and help help guide me as far as how to navigate this industry as an underrepresented voice. Um, not only journalistically, but also um, as a businesswoman. And I think that a lot of people in media, it's it's paramount that we have that business savvy to go along with, you know, the media skills that we acquire. So what's the advice you would give to people that are trying to navigate it? Oh, girl. <laughs> um, I think that it's crucial to find mentors um, within the um, the industry. Um, and I know that also comes with a level of privilege, how to even access, you know, people to, to ask them to become mentors and all mm-hmm. that. Um, there's, there's just, but there's this certain level of tenacity, um, you know, as a black woman navigating the media as like, you know, just a black person, period, trying to navigate the media. There's just this, this, certain level of tenacity that you have to have um, because you're going to get so many no's. You're going to get so many like, oh, why do you want to cover that? Especially if you want to cover, if you want to cover like black news or if you want to work in predominantly black spaces, there are so many people who will tell you that um, you're pigeonholing yourself. And it's like nobody nobody says that when people want to go into politics. Nobody says that when people want to go into entertainment or whatever. But when you think about it, all of these, all of these, um, other beats, areas, whatever, race it, race plays a crucial role in those, and they intersect them um, in so many parts. Um, but, like, going back to your question, I think that it's important to stay true to your vision, and I think it's important to build those relationships and maintain those relationships because a lot of times, you know, will will fall off or forget to check in with people or forget to to do x y and z or be too afraid to to reach out to a person that we really admire but i think that those relationships especially when someone looks like you and when somebody is doing the job that you want to do or close to a job that you want to do i think it's important to like you know muster up that courage muster up that tenacity to to um reach out and sustain that relationship and not just that relationship but many relationships um with with people that you admire um in this industry not only um in like the front facing jobs but mm-hmm. you know the production i think behind the scenes is just as important um, as, you know, on camera, or on the mic, or wherever. And behind the scenes is where you make all the money. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Get that bread. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Song number two. Um, Song number two is I Like That by Janelle Monae. Um, all these songs on my list are by black women. All these songs on this on this list I play on repeat when I'm having bad days. And this is one that recently I've been playing on repeat mm-hmm. um, because sometimes, like, just on a personal level, like, not even, like, yes, yes career-wise too, but on a personal level, sometimes you just may not feel like enough. And sometimes you may feel like an outcast or feel weird or whatever. Like, I'm a six-foot black girl who plays video games and is kind of 
awkward, but also like loud and country. And like, there are so many things about me that make me unique. Um, and it took me so long to like really embrace that and understand that who I am is special. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Janelle is talking about on this on this track. It's just like being that weird, quirky girl um, and being amazing in like because we, we talk about loving yourself a lot. We talk about loving yourself a lot. But on this track, she's talking about liking herself. And I think that. It's easier to talk about loving yourself because you you know you can love a relative but, but not, not like, like them. them. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but like the power it is to like love and like yourself. Yeah. You're going to treat yourself better. You're going to extend more grace to yourself. You're going to um cater to your happiness before others uh more times than not. And that's something that I am continually reminding myself to do is just like cater to myself, like myself, you know, just like not put certain things above myself, be it work, be it relationships, be it, you know, comparing myself to, you know, other people in my industry who I think are doing amazing jobs. And I'm like, oh, shit, like, I'm not there yet. Where, how, how do I get there? It's like, girl, calm down, extend yourself grace, like give yourself time because right now what you're doing is amazing. And you have to understand, like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't talk to your friend like that. You have to like befriend yourself. Um, in a way. And so, yeah, that's where I am. I'm, I'm finally at a place where I'm friends with myself. Great just gave a whole word. <laughs> <laughs> we talk so badly about ourselves, mm-hmm. to ourselves, and the power of words mm-hmm. is so real. Because then you'll start believing yeah. you'll always second-guess yourself and you'll always be doubting yourself. And then, like, you'll just start to believe that you deserve bad things or deserve whatever happens to you when you really don't. You're just putting that power in the air. Yeah, the universe is always listening. It's always listening. So if you tell the universe, like, dang, like, I don't deserve this or, um, you know, I whatever negative thing that that you say if you if you continue this negative self-talk then like that's going to manifest itself not only in the way that you carry yourself and not only in the work that you produce but also physically and you're going to feel bad you may mm-hmm. get migraines you get like is there's so much power like so much healing power in just being nice to yourself and like you know speaking positive keeping a gratitude journal or an affirmation jar or a um a, a vision board you know, so those are some things like those are some tools that I've used on my journey to liking myself. Mm-hmm. And what's this journey been like for you? Ooh, it's been it's had its up and it's had its ups and downs um, because I've had to um, I just recently uh, got into therapy this year, mm-hmm. which was a big step for me because it, it's something that I always not always, um, but over the past few years, especially as the conversation of mental health has uh, become more prominent, especially within our community, um, it's something that I knew I wanted to do, but never was brave enough to like make that call. And honestly, like shout out to therapy for black girls, because that's where I went to find my therapist. Um, And it was awkward at first. It was really (laughs) awkward because like finding a therapist is like 
is like dating. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know like what what's going on, blah blah. blah. But um, my therapist has been great. She's a black woman, fortunately. Um, I think I could only go to a black woman for therapy. Um, but um, yeah, in in doing that and going to therapy, I think that was like one of the big hurdles in getting me over, you know, just self-love to self-love and self-like. Um, and I, yeah, I've had to address a lot of the things, a lot of like the toxic things that I would say about myself or think about myself or even, um, the toxic ways that I would think about like black womanhood. Um, and I've had to go on this journey of unlearning. Um, there's a lot of times, you know, our our parents, our our guardians, um, and the generations before us, you know, we hold we hold the trauma that, you know, that was in our grandma because when our grandmothers, um when our grandmothers um held our mothers in their stomach, our mothers already had their eggs in, in, in them. So like that energy is still there. That energy is still there. And a lot of times because black women have just been shat on for centuries is, you know, that can, that can come up internally, especially since, you know, we, we haven't escaped a lot of shit. We really haven't. Um, and so I think working through that has led me to understanding what it is to like myself. And so now I'm about to, you know, go get a massage this weekend, you know, treat myself to a book, you know. I might, you know, tell a few people no, because I like, I, I love that word now, no. <laughs> it just rolls off the tongue, no, period. That's a full sentence. So, yeah, I've been exercising that, just like not trying to please everybody else and trying to please myself more. And how's that been working out? Ooh, girl, I love it. I love it, especially... And I've been on 10 lately because my birthday is coming up. <laughs> it's on Thanksgiving. So I've been like, I've been really flexing my, oop, nope, mm-mm, I'm good, mm-mm, I'm booked, mm-mm, nope, mm-mm. <laughs> I'm actually going to spend that day doing nothing. So I know I know you need me, but I'm sorry. I, I just can't because I've already, I've already scheduled that day doing nothing. And on the flip side of that, you know, it's not always saying no. It's also just like doing what the fuck you want to do. Um, so like, um, I'm spending a, a portion of my birthday, you know, going, and I mean, I know it's your birthday, so you do nice things for yourself anyway, but like, I don't know, there's always this pressure to like plan and like do the most and yes. like have brunch and all that. And I'm like, I don't want to spend all that money. I'm good. <laughs> Y'all, I can spend money elsewhere. So, um, so I'm, um, after my workout class that day, I'm like going to, um, this women's shelter to just drop things off. And like, that's something I haven't done in a while. And that's something that, you know, really makes me happy because, um, like, I don't know, just the fact of like letting other, especially women know that I see them that like that makes me so happy even if like even if they like okay girl whatever bye <laughs> like i just love like you know seeing people because so often we feel so unseen and mm-hmm. so unheard um so yeah if that answers your question i just like went on like a whole ramble <laughs> <laughs> song number 1 ooh beyonce <laughs> 
<laughs> bow down. No, not the flawless version, even though like I, I fucks with that heavy. But the I've been on version when yes. she's talking her shit and when she's like, kiss my mama, show that love. Like when she really goes into like that chopped and screwed like rap part. That just speaks to me on so many levels because it reminds me of home. No, I'm not from Houston, but like the fact that, you know, this this woman, she's able like this, this, this powerful, amazing, beautiful black woman. She's able to like get on this platform and talk her shit. Say like, I know when you were a little girl, you dreamt of being in my world. So don't forget it. Don't forget it. Respect that. Bow down, bitches. It's kind of in that same vein of like why I chose Rico's popping, because like, you know, I want to celebrate myself more. I want us to celebrate ourselves more. You know, we are amazing. And honestly, this world should be bowing down at our feet because, like, we built this shit for free. Mm-hmm. We built this shit. <laughs> y'all, like, y'all need to bow down, you know? So, like, that in the element of just her leaning into her Houston roots. Um, like, even though, like, that's not necessarily, like, something that I specifically, like, identify with i i identify with it on like a tangential way because like i'm country as hell even though i'm from the midwest like we country out there because we're products of the great migration and so like i hold the south near and dear because that's where my grandma and my granddaddies and like all the people like who who um made it possible for me to be here they thrived and they lived and they loved in the South, despite whatever oppression or whatever, you know, obstacles were against them. So what do you want your legacy to be? Ooh, that's a good question. That's such a good question. And that's something I've been thinking about recently because I think about, you know, how important it is um, to me um, as far as like what is passed down. Mm-hmm. Um and a lot of times we think in like, you know, very cliche ways um, as far as like what what we reap generationally. Um, and I think that right now one of my focuses is on um, generational wealth, um, not just of like my immediate family, but extending that. And um, trying to teach other people on, like, how to attain that because black people have so much wealth in this country. But via gentrification, um, like, that's that's a big one as far as, like, how they're trying to, um, you know, take away that that wealth. And um, also just making sure that um, health is a priority. once again, not only with my immediate, but also just spreading that education. I think that, uh, yeah, I think I think my legacy is seeped in in education. Not only like me learning, but also me providing lessons to people on how to um, navigate some of the obstacles that have been um, um, that have been placed in our in our path. Because we are we are so mighty and we are so resilient. Um, and I want us to get to where we're going and, and accomplish our wildest dreams in the most healthy, in the most um, 
um, um, well-equipped way um, because a lot of times, a lot of times our legacy is seeped not— a lot of times when we think of, of our legacy, i.e. like our heritage, our, you know, uh, what we've what we've gotten from our ancestors, a lot of times we immediately think of like those traumas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want to kind of rewire that. And I want to see I want folks to, you know, see the uh, the rewards that we've reaped. And I want folks to be able to understand what we can leave behind as far as, you know, um, uh, like these linear ways of viewing blackness or these um, toxic ways of maintaining and upholding relationships or these um, these ways of viewing what a family is supposed to look like. Um, So, yeah, I, I just want my legacy to be that. I um I helped I helped at least, you know, educate more people to to break some of those bonds that, you know, that hold us. So before we go, you have to give us your Dear Black Girl open letter. I'm really excited about this. <clears throat> Dear Black Girl, you are capable of accomplishing your wildest dreams and beyond. A lot of times this world will go out of its way to let you know otherwise, despite the fact that it was your mother, it was your mother's mother, it was your mother's mother's mother who built this country from the ground up. And it is you who continue to provide the light, love and support, even when this world doesn't deserve you. Never dim your light for anyone. Shine unapologetically. Signed, Taryn. 